It's the Happy Families Podcast. It's the podcast for the time-poor parent who just wants answers now. Hello, this is Dr. Justin Coulson, the founder of happyfamilies.com.au. Today on the Happy Families Podcast, a conversation about a brand new book that's just been published called Technology's Child digital media's role in the ages and stages of growing up. The author is Katie Davis. I'm going to tell you a bit about Katie, and then we're going to have a really important conversation for any parent of any child who ever uses technology, which would be all of them. Um, Katie Davis is an associate professor at the University of Washington Information School, where she's a founding member and co-director of the UW Digital Youth Lab. She's also the co-author of The App Generation, How Today's Youth Navigate Identity, Intimacy, Imagination in a Digital World, with one of the all-time gurus of psychology, a guy who uh, has done more about intelligence in psychology than maybe anybody, Howard Gardner, and writers in The Secret Garden, fan fiction, youth, and new forms of mentoring, which she wrote with Cecilia Aragon. Uh, I might also mention that the book Technology's Child, which is the one we're going to be talking about today by Katie Davis, also has some pretty big, uh, what, what's the word? Like there's there's some pretty big names behind this book. Adam Grant has just named this a must read in his next Big Idea Club. Uh, and if you get an endorsement from Adam Grant, I mean, Katie, did you just about cry when Adam Grant said you need to read this book? I was pretty excited, I have to say, yes. <laughs> so you're a mum to one. You've got a little guy. He is six years old. He is, yeah, Oliver. The first question I have to ask before we even talk about your book is, how do you go with Oliver and technology? Six years old. I'm sure that he wants to be, I don't know, watching cartoons. He wants to play Pokemon or something. like. Is, oh, is he, Pokemon, yes. <laughs> is he at you all the time to be on his screen? Well, you know, it, we go in and out. So sometimes he's really, really pushing to get on the screen and watch something. Right now, it is certainly Pokemon. Um, but then other times he's pretty relaxed and more interested in doing things offline. Um, it's hard to predict, really, I think. Um, but that's what I have learned as a parent is that children are often hard to predict. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not uh, they're not quite the same as I don't know, chemicals in a chemistry experiment, are they? There's there's No, exactly. A little bit more random. Okay, I want to dive into some of the things that you've written about in this book. I I showed you my copy of your book which has I was going to say thousands of pages dog-eared, but it's not a thousand. It's only 250 pages long, but <laughs> I I've, I've dog-eared almost every single page. Uh, can we just talk about kids under the age of about well, let's start with our toddlers, our infants and our toddlers, children under about the age of three. When parents are giving their children screens, I, I love how human you are in the book and saying sometimes you just have to because like, you need a break and it's okay for the kids to have some screens. But what are the risks that we are up against with children under the age of three and their use of screens, whether it's for TV or whether they're using apps? Right. So there are a number of things. And and as you mentioned, sometimes we need to give us ourselves a break. So I first want to preface what I'm about to say um, by urging parents to give themselves a break and not be too hard on themselves, because that's one thing that I talk about in this book is that there's just so much guilt and pressure associated with being a parent these days and not just related to technology, but pretty much every aspect of your child's development, you're expected to set them up on the road to success. And so I want to just acknowledge that there's a lot of pressure. It's very much there when it comes to technology. 
And in fact, I talk about this idea in the book um, that I call the good enough digital parent, where the idea is that we are trying to do our best, of course, to steer our children towards uh, positive, developmentally supportive technology experiences. But we're not going to be perfect at this all the time, and we're going to make mistakes. Uh, the key is that we are going to be keen observers of how our children are reacting as they're engaging with technology and also after they've engaged with the technology. And depending on the, how they act, we will pivot and adjust accordingly um, and you know, try and steer them towards the best possible experiences. But when it comes to children, the really young children, um, generally speaking, I would say it's fine, you know, occasionally to uh, introduce your child to uh, a, an app that is geared towards little kids or perhaps watching a few TV shows. But the thing to be um, on the lookout for is noticing whether or not you're reaching for the tablet or the phone every single time you want a break or every single time your child is getting fussy. Because if that starts to be the default move for you, um, that's not going to be good for your child or for you because that's not going to help you um, support your child in managing their own emotions and learning how to regulate themselves. If they always know that you're going to put a screen in front of them to soothe them, they're not going to develop that um, emotion regulation and the resilience that is so important during those early years. This is a fascinating uh, path that I want to just tread a few more steps down. The relationship between emotion regulation and behavioral regulation and screen use. So it's I, I hear parents say this all the time. When my children are in front of a screen, they are so regulated. Like the screen does all of this regulation for them. They're calm. They're, they're, they're willing to eat their food. They're willing to get into their school uniforms. They're willing to do almost anything that I ask them to do. And yet when we turn off the screen, it's like they become like hashtag demon child. They just turn into this <laughs> psycho child. And And I wonder if you can talk about that emotional and behavioral regulation issue, I, and I guess this extends well beyond the toddler years now, why is it that TV is such an extraordinary regulator and why does that regulation dissipate so fast once the screen is off? Absolutely. So first of all, it's important to recognize that in those early years, age one, two, and three, one of the key developmental tasks for kids that age is to develop the ability to regulate their emotions, um, to regulate their behavior, in fact. So it, these constellations of skills are, are called executive function. And it's probably the most important thing that they're developing aside from um, language. And so when we put our kids in front of a TV, if we think about what sort of attention, and now attention is really wrapped up in executive function and self-regulation. It's really all about being able to manage your own attention. But when you're looking at a screen, the kind of attention that you're engaging in is what we call bottom-up processes of attention. So you're kind of being led by the TV. You're not really having to do any sort of work. So for your um, listeners who are thinking about an analogy for their experiences, if you think about when you're just scrolling through your social media feed, you're really not doing 
much of anything. You're not putting a lot of attention in it. You're, um, you're just letting yourself be taken from one post to another. However, if you're composing a cover letter for a job or an application for something, that's when you're using top-down processes of attention. So you're really very much focused and you're controlling your attention. You're putting a lot of thought into it. And that's the kind of attention that doesn't usually get engaged when you're watching TV. And so when when you notice that your child is sort of looking like a zombie in front of the screen, that's because they're not really putting much effort into their attention. It's being co-opted in a way by the TV screen. Um, but that's not to say that every single digital experience uh, uses that kind of attention. There are certainly more interactive forms of digital experiences that require kids to engage in more of those effortful forms of attention, those top-down processes. So some games, um, when you get into slightly older kids, games like Minecraft or Roblox, those are good examples of um, the types of digital experiences that require a different kind of attention that is more effortful, that might be a little bit more supportive of executive function skills. Katie, there are a couple of different tangents that I want to go on as a result of what you've just said here. There's no way I'm going to get to the list of the bottom of my list of questions today. Uh, you've you've talked about educational apps. You highlight in Technology's Child that for the most part, educational apps are not particularly educational. Would you mind just unfortunately, <laughs> yeah? Can, can you can you step through what? the data shows us around that and the false promises that are made by these app developers who are really, I guess, what are they doing? They're trying to capitalize on our best intentions to give our children a head start and also give ourselves a break by using a screen. What's the real story behind educational apps? Well, the first story to keep in mind is that the vast majority of these apps have zero research behind them. So they're making a lot of claims about being educational without any sort of support or evidence um, that I would, as a researcher, consider rigorous. And so maybe they've tested out with a few kids or families, but not really rigorous peer-reviewed research. So that's the first thing. Um, just beware of the claims that they're making. Um, and then I think beyond that, it's really something that parents need to uh, try out on a case-by-case -case basis, look at the app, see how their children are engaging with it. And again, what sort of attention is this app encouraging? Is it just sort of leading them down one path without really thinking? Or is it actually getting them to think? So for young kids, there are a lot of apps that are focused on literacy development or numeracy development. And some of those can be quite good. Um, provided they're, they're not uh, including uh, too many bells and whistles. So you have to keep in mind that for little kids, they have limited information processing abilities. So they're still developing those tools and the amount of information that's coming at them, if it's too much, if there's too many songs or if there's too many visuals on the screen, that might overwhelm their information processing capacity. So, in fact, you want to look for apps that are pretty minimal and that 
don't have a lot of bells and whistles, that they're not really busy because the busier they are, the more overwhelming it's going to be for your child and the more taxing. And they're probably less likely to get out of it the core educational objective. So whether that's learning to count or learning your ABCs, if there's a lot of other characters, you know, getting really excited and all these different things going on, that should be a warning sign that maybe it's a little too much for your child. When I look at the apps that my children want to play, they tend to not be uh, oriented towards anything other than time wasting. <laughs> and and I, I guess I, I have my own theories about this, and I, I suspect that yours and mine will overlap quite a lot here. But I'd love to get your perspective on this. Why are children so drawn in by screens? What is it about that, that makes screens so compelling? Well, it's kind of what draws us in. These screen, these screens and the importantly, the applications that are running on the screens have been specifically designed with psychological theories that are known to hold and keep our attention. And so children are very susceptible to having their attention um, co-opted in a, in a way um, when they're confronted with very compelling content. And, you know, the developers of these different apps and TV shows, they know exactly what they're doing. They kind of have the formula down pat to hold our attention, our attention as adults, but also our children's attention. And that's kind of the business model. The more they can hold our attention, the better their bottom line does. And um, so that, yeah, it really can sometimes go against what's best for a child's development. And so in the book, I really encourage parents to, when they're looking at their children interacting with a particular um, digital device or application, and they're trying to figure out, is this good for my child? Is it not good? How do I even know? There are two questions that I encourage parents to ask themselves. And these are questions that I ask myself every day when I'm considering what sort of technology is okay for Oliver to have for that day and for how long. I ask myself first, is this self-directed? And so by self-directed, I mean experiences where your child is really in the driver's seat. The agency is with your child. It's it's not with the technology. And so if, going back to our conversation about having attention being co-opted, when that happens, your child is no longer in the driver's seat of their digital interaction. So you really want to be thinking about to what extent is my child kind of there and in control? Recognizing not all experiences are, are going to allow children to be equally in control of their digital experiences. So, but you do want to at least try as much as possible to steer them towards experiences that they're really in, in the driver's seat. The second question that I'm asking myself every day is, is this experience community supported? And by that, I mean, who's are involved either during the experience or surrounding the experience that can actually support my child? So with little kids, this tends to be parents or sometimes older siblings who are on hand to, you know, help the, the child interact with a particular app or device, um, maybe engage with them. So 
um, joint media engagement is actually been shown to be really supportive of kids' development. So their literacy development, their numeracy development, and so on. So thinking about what opportunities does this digital experience provide in terms of involving other people? Um, when you get into older kids and they're starting to participate in online communities, sometimes the support can actually come from within the platform where there's an actual community online that can support kids and um, and help them have an enriching experience online. The opposite is also true. Sometimes you can have an experience that is actually not very community supportive. For instance, if your child is experiencing bullying online, that's sort of the opposite of community support. So it's really those two questions that I'm asking myself every day as a parent. Is this self-directed? Is it community supported? Recognizing that not everything is going to be amazingly great um, when it comes to those two questions, but I'm at least striving for making them as good as possible. Katie, when you describe that, I think about my Facebook use. What I've found is that I have no sense of agency once I get onto Facebook. It, it takes away my capacity to choose. And so what I've done with Facebook is I've had my wife put a screen time password with a screen limit of 15 minutes per day on that particular app. I don't like being on there. I don't feel good when I'm on there. And I'm not using it for high quality interactions. I'm just scrolling through the the garbage that it feeds me. And yes, the garbage that it feeds me is all the stuff that I'm interested in, like the surfing and the bike riding and all the other stuff that I'm really passionate about in my life. But it's such unproductive time. And I never get off a 15-minute Facebook session and think, oh, that was so good. I feel so fulfilled now. And and I guess mm-hmm. when I hear you describe those two things, the importance of agency, autonomy, the self-direction, and also the level of community support, those two things are distinctly lacking in my social media use. Ironically, it's called social media, and yet I'm not particularly using it in a very social way. And and I can see the value, I can see the, the wisdom in what you've shared. Our time is up already. I feel like we've barely started. I feel like we've like we've talked about two of the things that are in my my, <laughs> my notes that I want to talk about. Do you think that we could continue this conversation tomorrow on the podcast? Absolutely. I would love to. I'm speaking with Katie Davis, an associate professor at the University of Washington, about her book, recommended highly by Adam Grant's Next Big Idea Club, as a must-read. The book is called Technology's Child, Digital Media's Role in the Ages and Stages of Growing Up. Tomorrow, when we return, we're going to continue this conversation by diving into some of the technology challenges that we have with bigger kids and our teens. It's the Happy Families podcast produced by Justin Rulon from Bridge Media. Craig Bruce is our executive producer. For more information about Technology's Child, you can see the show notes and also check out Katie's website, katiedavisresearch.com. If you go there and sign up for Katie's newsletter, she'll be able to send you a weekly tidbit of research and ideas for how you can manage tech better in your home with your kids. That's katiedavisresearch.com. Sign up for her newsletter there. Thank you.